life is filled with a lot of surprises, isn't it? There are times that uh, we go through periods of blessing and periods of great encouragement. And then there are times of real difficulty and very severe trial. Uh, This past week, some of you are probably aware Dave Sullivan's mother went home to be with the Lord. And uh, we've been praying for Dave and his family. And uh, thankfully, she was a strong follower of Jesus Christ. And uh, that takes a lot of the sting, but not the sorrow. And uh, I know that it's a, a real time of loss as well for Dave. Well, the interesting thing about the book of Psalms that we have been going through is that it addresses virtually every circumstance that we face in life. There are things that are recorded in the Psalms that are recorded there for us because they are expressions of praise and gratitude. There are times when there are expressions of sorrow and loss. There are times in which the psalmist will lift his voice before the Lord in a variety of different ways. And the psalm that we just read today, Psalm 73, which if you're not there, please turn back there if you will. The psalmist is doing something that I would suspect many of us have experienced in our own lives in the way that he's expressing himself. And this particular psalm is written by a fellow by the name of Asaph. Now, we we fall under the impression sometimes that the psalms are all written by David. But as you know, there are a variety of different writers in the psalms. And if you look, not only at this particular psalm, but the nine psalms that follow it as well, you'll notice these were all written by Asaph. And he wrote others as well. But in this one segment, there's a a ten-psalm unfolding that, that Asaph wrote. Asaph was probably a musician and perhaps a poet, very much like David was. But in this particular psalm, Asaph takes us into a realm of experience that must have been very difficult for him. We're not told exactly what was happening, but you can pretty well figure it out by the things that he wrote. And what seems to be the uh, experience of his life at this point is that he has gone through a period of trial, a period of disappointment, and a period in which he looked all around himself and was perplexed because he came to some conclusions that were wrong, but they deeply affected him. And they affected him in such a way that they brought him to the brink of stumbling spiritually. As a matter of fact, some would probably say, well, in a way, he did stumble and fall. But I think the Lord allowed him to go through this and bring him to the edge of falling. And he did that so that we would be able to understand when we get to that edge, we better take a look at things the way Asaph did. There are circumstances that are unfolding before us here as they are recorded in Psalm 73 that tell us about things in life that can really bring us a great deal of disappointment, a great deal of discouragement. And Asaph helps us understand what's involved in bringing us to the brink of defeat. As we begin this psalm, The first two verses give us a lot of information that's very important for us to understand. And listen to this because hidden within this are some implications that are extremely important. In the first verse, he begins with this. 
Truly, God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. Now he gives us our first warning. The first warning of what brings a believer to the place of defeat. And it's very clear what he has to say. He's telling us that unapplied theology is one of the key elements of bringing us to the place of spiritual defeat. You all know that I believe that theology is extremely important. As a matter of fact, it's the, the doctrine of God. And, and as he has revealed himself that we talk about when we talk about theology. And proper life patterns are developed when our theology is what it should be. But there is a danger that comes along with this. And that is that we would be satisfied in having our theology firmly implanted in our minds and in our understanding. And we would have our theology straight. We would understand that God has made himself known in three persons, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, all three being co-equal, co-eternal. We we believe that the Bible is the Word of God. It doesn't contain the Word of God. It is the Word of God. And it is true from Genesis through Revelation. And the, the Scriptures are the expression of God's revelation to us today. Apart from anything else, nothing else has the authority of God's Word. We believe that we are lost, we are dead in our trespasses and sins, and that we are separated from our God for all eternity because of that sin. But we believe that Jesus Christ, the infinite God, went to the cross as a man, the God-man who died in our place, took the punishment that our sin deserves, was buried, rose again from the dead, and we believe that salvation is not through works of righteousness, but our salvation is based upon our relationship with Christ through faith in him, trusting his finished work, so that by that work of Christ, our sin is imputed to him and his righteousness is imputed to us. So that in the eyes of the Father, we are seen clothed in the righteousness of Christ, as we we spoke about just a few moments ago. We believe that there is an eternity, and that eternity is where people will spend that time either in heaven or in the lake of fire. We, we often refer to hell, uh, and hell certainly is a reality, but ultimately hell is going to be cast into the lake of fire where the smoke of their torment will ascend forever. For those who know Christ as Savior, we spend eternity with the Father in heaven, living the lives that God originally intended for us to be able to live before sin entered the world. Those are all things we believe. And then there are doctrines that we add to that that are part of the expression of the way those truths should impact and affect our lives. And you can have all of that straight. But if you don't live in the light of those doctrines, then you are headed for defeat. I think sometimes our biggest challenge is not knowing what God says. Our biggest challenge is doing what he says. The sad part in our Christian experience today, and we don't have to look far to understand this, 
it, it really becomes part of our experience. We know what God has told us. But sometimes we don't like it. And we choose instead to live our own way. Whether we base our decisions upon our emotions and our feelings, whether we believe there's some advantage to be gained by doing things our own way, the bottom line remains the same. We choose instead to go our own way instead of applying the doctrinal truths that God has revealed in his word, which are extremely important to know, but are of very little value unless they filter into the experience and the reality of our lives. What's a better way to live? Under submission to the word and the authority of God, or submission to our own perspectives, thoughts, and emotional responses? One or two? One. Okay. Yeah, I didn't expect you all to say that whole thing that I just got done saying. But we know this. God's way is always the best way, regardless of what direction that leads us. Because God is always at work accomplishing two specific things bringing glory to himself and working out that which is good, that which is the best for those who love him and those who are called according to his purpose. Do you believe that? Do you live that way? Let's not laugh. Because the reality is, we would all say, yes, I believe that, but I choose to live a different way. This is pretty serious stuff. Whatever happened to Asaph took him the wrong direction. And you notice what he says here in the second verse, but as for me... Though I knew that God is a good God, I know who he is. I know that he is good to Israel. He is good to those who are pure in heart. I have the assurance of his goodness. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. Even though I am confident in God's power to make everything work out for my good and his glory. Even the things that I oppose... Even the things that within me I would stand against and I would not desire to be involved in or to go in the direction that God's leading. His way is still the best way. Asaph knew it. But you know what he did? He chose to walk his own way and he almost stumbled and fell. Even though all through his life he has experienced God's provision, he has seen God work on behalf of the children of Israel, he has experienced in their lives and in their history and in their direction the hand of God moving so that God's power was clearly seen in the provision that he made for the safety of Israel, for the protection of Israel, for all of the things that they needed. And he said, I was right at the edge. And I got there because I took my eyes from the truth of who he is and I brought them down to the level of my experience. 
Is experience a good teacher? It can be. But experience can be misunderstood. It can be misapplied. And that's exactly what happened with Asaph. Look at what happened when he began to look at the level of humanity instead of looking into the face of his God. In verse 3, he tells us this. I was envious of the boastful. Where did this defeat begin to ruminate? It started in his becoming envious of the people that he looked at around him. And I want you to follow and and watch the progression of this as it goes. He says in verse 3, I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And he begins by recognizing what he perceives to be the wicked doing really well and him not doing so well. And he says, I can't understand this. As I look at the world around me, what I see is people who blaspheme God, people who have no time for him, people that have no interest in him, they seem to be doing so well. Now, one of the things that happens when our vision comes down to man's level as opposed to watching the face of our God is things start getting out of perspective. Have you ever gone to like a fun house and you've seen those mirrors that are kind of bent, and you stand in front of them, and uh, you look in the mirror, and all of a sudden you see this great, big, old, fat thing. And you say, hey, honey, look at this. And then she walks up next to me, and she looks fine. And I realized that was not a trick mirror. That was a real mirror. And then when I get into the trick mirrors, the neck gets real long and the face gets long. Do you realize that's exactly what Asaph was experiencing at this point? Do you want to see it? You want to see a picture of him? Read with me. Verse 4, for there are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walks through the earth. Therefore, his people return here. And waters of a full cup are drained by them. And they say, how does God know? And is there any knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. When you look back at the beginning of this expression of his disappointment and the thing that brings him to the point of defeat, he says this, what I see in the wicked the people that are standing against God, is prosperity. Now, listen, is everyone that's wicked prosperous? No, not everyone that's wicked is prosperous. But from his point of view, he sees the long neck. He sees the fat body. He's looking at a mirror that distorts the truth. And he says, they don't look at look at what he what he describes here he says there are no pangs in their death so in other words when a person dies that is a wicked person they just slip into eternity peacefully there's no pain that that's literally 
literally what pangs implies there. There's no pain in their death. They come to the day in which they will depart this earth and they go very peacefully. But God's people, for some reason, they just all seem to suffer when they die. And then he says, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. So he sees in this prosperity of theirs and and the, the life condition of theirs how they are unaffected by these afflictions. Now, he is not the only one that saw that. We know a guy that went through a terrible time of suffering whose name was Job. And I'm going to ask you to turn back with me to the book of Job and turn to the 21st chapter. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one in the pew right in front of you, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs. If you get into any one of those books, you can narrow it down very quickly to the book of Job. And in Job chapter 21, beginning there at verse 7, listen to what Job says that parallels perfectly what Asaph is saying. Why do the wicked live and become old? Yes, become mighty in power. Now, do you understand? Job is looking at these mirrors again. He's looking at the distortions of the reality. And from his point of view, because of the suffering in which he finds himself, he is seeing things the way they really are not. So he goes on to say this in verse 8. Their descendants are established with them in their their sight. And their offspring before their eyes, their houses are safe from fear. Neither is the rod of God upon them. Their bull breeds without failure. Their cow calves without miscarriage. Now, do you understand in these verses, he's already lost his children. And he's already lost his flocks. So he's looking at what's happening with the wicked. And he's saying, I've lost everything. They seem to be doing okay. Verse 11. They send forth their little ones like a flock, and their children dance. They sing to the tambourine and harp and rejoice to the sound of the flute. They spend their days in wealth and in a moment go down to the grave. You see what he's saying there? They die. Just, it's no suffering. It's no, they just, and they're gone. They spend their days in wealth and their moment go down to the grave, yet they say to God, Depart from us, for we do not desire the knowledge of your ways. Who is the Almighty that we should serve him? And what profit do we have if we pray to him? Indeed, their prosperity is not in their hand. The counsel of the wicked is far from me. You could read farther. We we won't do that. We'll stop there. And what do you see Job saying? He says, I envy them. I envy the wicked. I envy their prosperity. But I also envy another dimension of their experience. And that is, I envy their pride. Look at verse 6. Oops. Back up. Let's back up here. Therefore... Pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. 
They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walks through the earth. These people who are wicked live with a self-confidence that surpasses the confidence that Asaph was having in the Lord himself. Look at how they live. They're proud. They say, I've done it all myself. I have worked very hard. And you know what? I've gotten the fruit of my labors. And I'm responsible for the good things that I have. And they go on to say that there is nothing that makes them afraid. They're not worried about the future because they can take care of themselves. And in addition to that, they add to this. I don't have to answer to anybody. When I want to get up, I get up. When I want to go to bed, I go to bed. When I want to go to work, I go to work. When I want to have a party, I go to a party. I just do whatever I want to do. And Asaph's looking at these people and he's saying, how can that happen? How can they be doing so well? I, I love God. And look where I am. I don't get this. He's got one more element that he's going to add to it. And you pick that up in verse 10. Therefore, his people return here. Now, I want you to notice something. Do you notice the word his in the New King James translation? That is not capitalized. And there's a reason for that. This is not speaking about the Lord. Sometimes you read a phrase like that and you automatically think this is speaking about the Lord. No, he is still making reference to the wicked. And so what he's saying is, therefore, the wicked's people return here and waters of a full cup are drained by them. And they say, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the most high? Behold, there, uh, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. So he's saying this, the popularity of this kind of a person continues to grow. And they draw to themselves adherence. That's what he's talking about there in verse 10. There are people that now come their direction. And all you have to do is look around. You just look around today and you'll see that this is exactly the way many wicked live. But sadly, they are drawing believers in their direction. Have you noticed? Boy, I'm going to get in trouble. Most of the time, I just go ahead and do it anyway. But I think on this occasion, I'm going to not. Um, have you noticed the entertainment that believers are attracted to? Is just like the world's entertainment. We, we, we want to be entertained the, world, the way the world is entertained. We want to dress the way the world dresses. I'll sag my pants halfway across my rear end and walk around. And we have to have a... Well, I won't, but... <laughs> there's much for which to be thankful, isn't there? <laughs> but you guys know... We, we have to have a rule at school that you can't walk around sagging, right? Right? Um, young ladies choose to dress provocatively, wearing the short skirts that the girls of the world wear, 
because the wicked attract them. And do you notice what the Bible says right after that verse 10? Or pardon me, in the middle of verse 10? The waters of a full cup are drained by them. What he's saying is this. Those that come to the wicked drink deeply of what they have to offer. Boy, we like what the world has. So what we're going to do is we're going to become more and more like the world in the things that we do instead of taking a stand for righteousness and saying, that's not going to be part of my experience. See, what, what happened with Asaph is, Asaph is saying, you know, uh, I don't know why these things go so well for the lost, for the wicked. I don't get it. And so he's going to take another step downward. And he tells us this. Because I don't get it, because they will reject submission to the will of God, it then leads me to pity myself. Look at verse 13. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. What's he talking about here? He's saying this. I have had to forsake certain things by virtue of my relationship with my creator. And now what good has it done me? Do you realize that when people are challenged with the gospel of Christ, one of the things that often crosses their minds is, you know what, if I accept Christ as my Savior, I'm going to have to give up, and then they can go into a litany of things that are characteristic of their lives. And uh, let, let, let me tell you something that happened. Yesterday morning, I was up in Jupiter. And uh, I stopped at a restaurant up there and had some breakfast. And while I was sitting there, the place was relatively empty. And so it must have been the manager was talking with a group of the the waitresses. And uh, they're just chatting away. And this guy is very loud. So I can can really hear everything. So unlike me. And I can hear everything he's saying. And and he's telling the waitresses about a new girlfriend that he has. And... uh, the, the gal looks at a picture. Uh, must, I don't know if it was on his phone or if it was a regular photograph. Anyway, he, she, she is somewhat taken by the physical appearance of this gal. And she says to the fella, well, where did you meet her? And he said, well, he said, I, I put out an ad. And she said, you put out an ad? She said, what are you talking about? He says, you know, uh, when you get on those... those uh, uh, things on, online, those dating sites online. And he said, yeah, he said, I, I found her on Christian Mingle. And the waitress looks at him, and she said, Christian Mingle? What are you doing on there? And then he starts to laugh. And he says, no, he says, I'm just, I'm just kidding you. I, I didn't find her on, I, I met her at a party. And then she says, yeah, she said, she really doesn't look like she'd be on Christian Mingle. And all of a sudden, it started making a lot of sense. When you're a Christian, you look different. You behave differently. 
you have different desires. You have different motives. And I realized that she could not see all of that in the picture, but boy, did she open the door when she said, she sure doesn't look like she'd be on Christian Mingle. I don't know, maybe she does. I've never been there. How do, how do they look? I'm going to talk to the kids for a minute. Okay? Now, those of you who are not sitting with the teens over here, I'm talking to you too, but I get to look you guys right in the eye. There are times when the Christian message requires a change in behavior that gravitates against everything you see going on around you. The world tells you you have to let your body fulfill whatever desires it has. And most of the world today has done that. And they've said, you know, it's all right to be engaged, not in the marriage sense, but to be involved with physical fulfillment outside of being married. God says no. That's sin. It's called fornication. Um, For the adults, sometimes you buy into the idea that someone other than your mate is okay to be involved with. That's called adultery. And it's all a sin condemned by God. But the world says, okay, so then, then you guys, if you decide that you're going to start living for the Lord and you're going to do what the Lord says, you feel like, oh, oh, I don't get to do anything. That's the way Asaph felt. What you're experiencing is not anything unique. This is just what the Bible tells us it's going to be like. You can feel like I've really missed out, or you can say this. I have been protected. God has put a protection around me by his commandments and by what he has told me I'm allowed to do and what I'm not allowed to do. And it isn't to make me any less in my experience of life than what God intended. It is designed for my protection. They're going to want you to feel like you have really missed out on all of the adventure and the excitement of life. Hey, you want to go with me to a rave? And then Christian kids say, oh, sure. And, and here's what they tell you. I like the music. But if you don't take the drugs, and if you don't hook up, and if you don't abandon your Christian principles, you feel like, oh, look at all the fun the wicked have. They're just having a great time. Man alive, I am really missing out. Listen, you guys, you understand I'm not angry with you. I I get loud, but I'm not angry. Do you you understand that? Okay, just so you know, I'm not angry with you. What I'm trying to tell you is this. God's restrictions are your protection. They are for your benefit. And Asaph, he's looking at the world around him, but here's the good part. He didn't get into it 
But he said, oh man, I feel like, do you guys ever feel like you're missing out on stuff? We, we all know because people out here felt the same way and maybe some of them even feel the same way today. Man alive, as a Christian, I just miss out on things. I went to a high school that, uh, to the best of my knowledge, and I know this isn't true, but I thought I was the only believer in the whole high school. I don't know of another kid that was... And quite honestly, there were times I I would get a call and I I would try to live for the Lord, but I want to tell you, the pull was really tough. And some of the kids that I used to hang around with, they'd call and they'd say this, hey, Wing, they called me Wing. They'd say, hey, Wing, they'd say, "Uh, we're having a party. You you don't have to dance. (laughs) Just come anyway. And at that point, I had to make a decision. And I said, you know, I know what goes on at those parties. There's going to be drinking. Now, today, there's a lot worse. Back then, kids would sneak a beer. Today, it's a lot worse. And I had to make a choice and thank the Lord. And all I can do is look back and say, Lord, it was your grace. And the Lord said, no, don't go to this. And did I ever feel like I missed out? Yeah, yeah. But I want to tell you what, I had so much fun as a believer that feeling like I missed out didn't last very long. Because if you live for the glory of Christ, he fills your life with great things. He really does. The best time I've ever, I, I just can't imagine having a happier life than I've had as a follower of Christ. But you're going to have to figure that out for yourself. I'm only up here to tell you about it. I want you to look at something else that he said. Notice what he says in verse 16. Ah, He says, when I thought how to understand this, it was, oh, no, 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 that's wrong. Verse 14, for all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. So he's talking about being under this self-pity over what uh, believers have to forsake. I just got done talking about that. But now, over what believers suffer. Because here's what he's concluding. He's saying, look, everybody, the wicked and the righteous, suffer. The wicked and the righteous get cancer. The wicked and the righteous have terrible disappointments. The wicked and the righteous get in accidents. The wicked and the righteous have families that, that forsake them. The wicked and the righteous experience all those things. And he's saying, you know what, I can live with that because that, that seems to be the same. But then, here's where I really struggle. As a believer, as a follower of the Lord, he adds to my suffering. Because he says, if you're... Now, I'm taking us from his perspective into ours today. If I will live godly in Christ Jesus, I will suffer persecution. So add to that all the other stuff that's going on, and now I keep going down down the ladder, and it gets worse and worse for me. Then if the Lord wants to refine my life, he will bring difficulties into my life to cause me to grow and to become more and more like what he wants me to be. And When I sin, he will chasten me. He won't do that to the wicked, but I get spanked. He takes me to the woodshed. By the way, on uh, msn.com, did you see yesterday and today's vote? Do any of you ever go in there and vote? 
It said, should parents be allowed to spank their children? Vote. Vote yes. 80% so far are saying yes. Let's make it 90. Okay, because 10% of our country is stupid. Um, You guys don't listen to that part. Listen, let, let, me, let me get to the heart of all this. You, you guys understand what he's saying here. He felt one final thing, and that is, as he looked back and reflected on what he was thinking, he felt guilt. He says, if I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your, capital Y, God's children. Hmm. the very thoughts that I'm having would be a betrayal of what I know to be true. And then he said, when I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. So what he's saying is, now having thought through all those things, I can't come to a good conclusion. And so what he's saying is, looking from here to here, oh, The wicked seem to be the winners, and I'm the loser. And he's right at the edge, ready to fail, ready to be defeated as a follower of the true and the living God. But God in his grace brings him to a conclusion in verse 17. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. And now he comes to a conclusion that says this. When I looked back to God, I understand that the wicked who seem to be prospering now, which, by the way, you all know that his perspective was so messed up. All you have to do is look at Robin Williams. Okay. Now, maybe Robin Williams was a believer. I, I don't want to throw this out the wrong way. But, but uh, here would be the point that I would like to make about this. There are people that are wicked. I'm not saying that he was. He may have been. He may not have been. I shouldn't have even said that. There are people that are wicked that look like they have everything, and the next day you read about them in the paper, and they've just killed themselves. And it's because... The perspective we have is that, oh man, they're just having a great time. They're out there partying and they're all just, they're out there sleeping around with anybody they feel like sleeping with and they're out there making money and they're just having a great time and everything seems to be going well. And then Asaph says, well, he doesn't say this, but I'm going to tell you this. That is a distorted perspective. That isn't really true. But he now comes to a different conclusion. He says, then God showed me the end of their ways. For all eternity, they will be separated from the love of God and experience the wrath of his judgment. Is it worth trading off righteousness today for eternity with him? And he comes to the conclusion and he says, yes, listen to this. 
He goes on to say this. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation as in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terrors as a dream when one awakens. So, Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. What does he say? He says the day is coming that those who said, who is God? Why should we listen to him? are going to stand before God and they're going to say, you are God, I wish I had listened to you. Now he has to deal with himself. And he says, all I can do to remain in the the victor's circle, not to keep my relationship with God, but, but not to be defeated in my walk with him, is to be drawn closer to him, to let his word be the very soul of my behavior, that it shows the way I'm supposed to live. And he says this. He says, thus my heart was grieved and I was uh, vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel. And afterward, receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For indeed, those who are far away from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. What he is saying is the only way I am going to win in this thing is to come close to my God and walk with him every day. Same thing's true for us, isn't it? It's really easy to get our eyes out there. The world just seems to do anything at once and it's okay. No, God says there are certain parameters in which you can live that are pleasing to me and you step outside of those and and they're not pleasing to me anymore. And you know what we're still left with? Why does it seem like the wicked prosper? Why does it seem that way? Will you bear with me a couple minutes? Some of you remember a a guy by the name of J. Vernon McGee, an old preacher. I I was kind of raised on him, him and a couple other guys, John D. Jess. You'll remember these great preachers from the past. They're dead and gone. But I came across something that J. Vernon McGee wrote. Well, listen, he was a pastor and he said this. He said, I would have people come to me and ask the question, why is it that Christians seem to have such a difficult time in life, but the wicked seem to prosper? And he said, as a pastor, he said, "Um, I really had this struggle with how I would answer that. He said, because I felt the same way. And then he wrote this. It was brought home to me when our first child was born. In the hospital... God took that child. I only heard the cry of that little one. All she ever did in her life was cry. I shall never forget the day she died. Across the hall from where my wife was, 
there was a very wealthy couple who had a baby boy, and their rich friends came to celebrate with them. As I drove into the parking lot at my, in my old beat-up Chevrolet, they all drove up in Cadillacs. They went into the hospital with their champagne and celebrated the birth of the little boy. He was a precious-looking little baby. All they desired, I guess, I shall never forget that night. It was summertime, and I went out on a balcony that was there and cried out to God. To be honest with you, I don't know to this good day why God took our baby and left the baby across the hall. They have money. And boy, they live it up. I have seen write-ups about them. And they have been in trouble several times. Their little boy is now an adult, as my daughter would be. After all these years, I still don't have the answer. You may be thinking, you're a minister, and you don't have the answer? No, I don't have the answer. Then how can you comfort others? Well, I'll tell you how. Although I don't have the answer, I know the one who does. And he has told me to walk with him by faith. He tests me by putting me in the dark. Then I'll reach out my hand and take his. In his word, he tells me that I can trust him. Someday, he will explain the whys of life to me. may look one way today, but it's all going to change. Don't be discouraged. Let's stand. Father, what a privilege it is to look into your word and see how truthful and practical and real it is for our daily lives. I thank you for the experiences that Asaph went through because, Father, we relate to these. And we can understand how he felt. There are times we wonder if giving up the things that we give up because we're followers of Christ will be worth it. And Lord, we know that they will. We know that they will. But I pray that you would help us to live as if they will. And I pray that we would be so yielded to you that whatever you bring into our lives, whatever we see in the world around us, would fade from view as we look deeply into your face, into your grace, into your love, into your mercy, into your kindness, into your goodness. For that's who you are. Amen. God bless.